All right. Good morning, church, once again. Uh, glad you're uh, getting comfortable. For those of you who, getting, who are getting coffee and tea and cookies, enjoy yourself. We're going to go ahead and get started. All right. Uh, so if you're new, uh, last week we kicked off a brand new series uh, that we're mainly focusing in on Matthew chapter 13. Now, I, I had some of you tell me last week there are more passages that talk about the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God than in Matthew 13, which I richly appreciate. Um, there are, and I would agree with you. We're just going to focus on this particular uh, chapter, and then we branch off different places, but uh, we're literally just focusing our, our attention and our hearts on the kingdom of heaven, and we're studying seven parables. We kicked that off uh, last week, found in Matthew 13. Uh, and we learn this about what a parable even is, and that's essentially a, a parallel story, if you would, uh, or, or some kind of illustration that lays beside together, kind of comparing one another. And each of the par- in each of the parables, Jesus takes an everyday uh, situation, an everyday thing, and relates it to his uh, teaching. And the object that he uses for today's is weeds. Uh, not Colorado weeds, uh, but like weeds weeds, right? That you re- weed out in your yard and in your flower bed and in your garden. And so that's what he's focused on uh, today. And so if you are willing and able, uh, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? We're going to pick it up in Matthew chapter 13. We're going to go 24 through 30, and then we're going to jump to verse uh, 36. So listen to the word of the Lord. Uh, Here's another story that Jesus told. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who planted good seed in his field. But that night, as the workers slept, his enemy came in and planted seeds among the wheat, and then he slipped away. When the crops began to grow and produce grain, the weeds also grew. The farmer's worker went to him and said, Sir, the the fields where you planted that good seed, they're full of weeds. Where did they come from? Hmm, an enemy has done this, the farmer exclaimed. Should we pull the weeds out, they asked? No, he replied. You'll uproot the weed if you do. Let them both grow together until the harvest. Then I will tell the harvesters to sort out the weeds, tie them into bundles, and then burn them and to put the weed in the barn. Skip with me to verse 36. Then, leaving the crowds outside, Jesus went into the house. His disciples said, please explain to us the story of the weeds in the field. Many of you can relate to that. Explain yourself, Jesus. And so Jesus goes on, verse 37. The son of man is the farmer who plants the good seed. The field is the world, and the good seed represents the people of God. The weeds are the people who belong to the evil one. The enemy who planted the weeds uh, among the wheat is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, and the harvesters are the angels. Just as the weeds are sorted out and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the world. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will remove from his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. And the angels will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in their father's kingdom. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. 
That is the word of the Lord for us this morning. You may have a seat. Um, I'm going to let you in on something very briefly and at the outset. Uh, I never do hellfire and brimstone preaching. <laughs> if, if you've been around me for any length of time, that's not my role. Uh, you can't avoid some of that today. So uh, there's going to be some parts of this that are a little bit hard to digest, if you would, um, but we're going to end with hope. Uh, so I'm just going to invite you uh, on this journey. One of the age-old questions has to do with the problem of evil. And we ask this question, well, why is there evil in this world? Or we might even rephrase it in this way. Why doesn't God do something? Look around. Why doesn't God, he has the power, he has the authority, he has the means, he has the resources. Why won't God just do something? And, and people often wonder, well, A, where did evil even come from? And what are we supposed to do with the evil, the bad, the, the things that are not of God that we rub shoulders with on an everyday basis? And Jesus here explains how there can still be evil in the world even when his kingdom has come. And we're going to go slow with this to wrap our minds around it. I would love if you have your Bibles to keep those open to Matthew chapter 13. I would love if you would take notes either in your Bible or with a notebook or have your phone open and do that because this is something I can almost guarantee that if you don't utilize this sermon in, in the next, I don't know, several months for your own gain, I promise you over the next several years, the way culture is going, you will have the answers to help answer some of these difficult questions in regards to what is going on in our world. So in explaining the parable of the weeds to his disciple, Jesus first identifies the various elements in the parable, and then he goes on to describe the fate of the believers and the unbelievers as exemplified in this particular parable. So... Uh, and, and as he does that, he lists seven different elements in that. So we're going to identify those here very quickly. The field, the two sowers, the two types of seed, and then the harvest and the harvesters. That's, those are the players in all of this. So first things first, the field is the world. If you look back to uh, Matthew chapter 28, uh, and we see the Great Commission, to go and to, to spread the word to all of the world. The field is the world. And this is where Jesus gives us, gives you and I, not the church proper, not the institution, not a religious organization, but you and me. He gives us this mission, this mindset that we are to go into all of the world with this worldwide mission in, in, in the back of our head. That's why we do what we do. That's why we uh, go different places. That's why we serve. That's why we uh, exert ourselves for the other. And Jesus says, I am the Savior for everyone. I'm not just the Savior for a select few. I'm not just the Savior for those who sing really well, praise the Lord. Uh, I'm not just the Savior for those who go to a Bible. I am the Savior of the world. That's who I am. And therefore, the gospel is to be sown into the whole world, and God's kingdom is to encompass the entire world. That broadens our horizons when we think, what is God doing? And who is he doing it to? Who is he doing it for? So that's the field. The two sowers are Jesus 
and the devil himself, Satan. We don't talk too much about Satan. We don't really give him much attention, but it's important that we identify the elephant in the living room. There are two sowers. And this gives us clear indication of why is our world the way it is. Jesus says the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. We know that. That's easy for us to wrap our head around. The enemy who sows the bad seed is Satan. And this aligns with human history where God and Satan have been sowing good and bad seeds from the beginning. You can take a note real quick and look at Genesis chapter 3 verses 1 through 7 when sin first jumps into the scene. And you can see how that happens. Remember, we started off by asking this question, what's the deal with evil? Why is evil even in there? And, and what's the origin? Why is there evil in the midst of our lives? Because if God created a good world, well, where did evil even come from? And why did it have to happen? Why can't we just have life without those things? And it's a very difficult question to answer quickly. It's, it's a deep, deep discussion, but the answer is found in the Scriptures. Because I would give a hearty, loud answer to say, he has done something about it. Definitively, he has dealt with the problem. You see, when God created Adam and Eve, uh, he put them in the garden and he provided everything that was good for them. It was perfect. It was delightful. There was plenty to eat. There was, there was no cholesterol. Uh, there were no bills. There were no emails. Uh, there was no social media. Like, all was good. It was just wonderful. But the enemy came along, and he sowed bad seeds of temptation. Notice he didn't do it for them. You, have you ever heard the phrase, the devil made me do it? Anyone? Yeah, the devil didn't make you do anything. You did it. He plants the seeds to do it, but you act on it. And so why is there evil uh, in the good world that God created? Because there's two sowers, Jesus and the devil. That's important for us to understand moving forward. Next, the good seed and the bad seed are believers and unbelievers. And here, Jesus specifically calls them the sons of the kingdom or the sons of the evil one. Notice there's no ambiguity there. It's not, there's not like another option. That we're either sons of the living king or we're sons of the king of this world, Satan himself. By faith, by believing in Jesus, that's how we enter the kingdom of God. That's how we enter with God himself as we take our last breath or when Jesus comes again. And it is only through faith in Jesus Christ. John chapter 8, verse 44 in the NIV, Jesus told the people of his day who did not believe in him, he said this, if God were your father, you'd love me. For I came from God and I'm here now. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. In other words, Jesus is essentially saying, if you knew who you were talking to, you would straighten up. You would humble yourself. You wouldn't speak to me this way. But as they interact with Jesus, 
because their father is the one of this world, their hearts are completely filled with darkness. In 1 John chapter 5, uh, 5, verse 19, it says this about the believers. We know that we're all children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Why is the world the way it is? Because it's under the control of the evil one. It's really not rocket science. Why is the world the way it is? Because there's evil in this world. And God allows it. He allows it. And he's okay with it. And that's hard. It's hard in a general sense. It's hard in a personal sense. Because in a a general sense, you can kind of remove yourself a little bit from evil and bad. And go, okay, God understands it, and he's king of everything, and so he allows it, and, and that's okay with him. But when it gets real personal, that's when it gets hard. When it affects our lives, when it affects our kids' lives, when it affects our our close family friends, that's when things get really, really hard. And the Bible, friends, is abundantly clear. You've got to pick a team. You have to pick a team. You only have two options. Do you want to be a, a child of the kingdom or do you want to be a child of the evil one? And that is the, what Jesus is thrusting upon us in this parable. And if you find yourself sitting there a little bit or a lot uncomfortable, Jesus is okay with that. And to much less degree, so am I. Because we have to wrestle with this stuff. And it changes then our perspective on what is the kingdom. Because the kingdom of God today is evil and holy. There will come a day wherein it will only be holy. But Jesus says the kingdom of God is the wheat and the weeds together. And obviously he's okay with that. Next, the harvest is the end of the age and the harvesters are the angels. The Old Testament uh, regularly uses this idea of harvest uh, for the last judgment and at the end of the age when there is judgment. And then finally, Jesus then goes on to describe the harvesters and the fate of the believers and unbelievers. That is in verses 40 through 43. And here, and and this is where we're going to spend most of our time now moving forward, here we find three very important fates of believers and unbelievers at the end of the age. Number one, God will weed out of his kingdom all evil and all sin. He is going to do that. So to answer the question, well, why doesn't God do something? He has in Jesus and he will in judgment. It's just not on our schedule. (laughs) It's not as fast as we would like. And I think all of us would would raise a collective hand like, hey, who wants God to deal with evil now? (laughs) Well, yeah, like I don't know that anybody would go, eh, not yet. Of course we want it. But God operates on his schedule. 
And he's always faithful, 100% in his faithfulness. He deals with things. You go, well, man, why is my marriage taking so long to get where it needs to be? God's in that. He's in that. Well, why are my kids, I just want to pull my hair out. God's in that. But it so often is not our timeline. We'd rather it be now. The idea if, if, if I said, hey, the rest of your life for internet, we got to go back to dial up. You would go, God, no, please. Send a plague, but don't, like, I don't, not AOL. Please. <laughs> Why? Because we want it now. It's my money and I want it now. Right? But God doesn't roll that way. He, it's just not who he is. He's bigger than us. His, his understanding of this world, his understanding of this church is well beyond our wildest imaginations. And so God will weed that out. And that's good news. Remember the question that we're asking. Why doesn't God do something? And part of the answer is he will. And that's what gives us praise. We have four huge letters on our wall. What does it say? Hope. That's our hope. That not only will we spend eternity in glory, but God will administer his justice to everything that's not of him. And he will do it in his perfect timing. And this is exactly what we find when we come back to the book of Revelation. At the end of the New Testament, uh, if you're new to the Bible, it's the last book in the book you're holding. Revelation chapter 21, verses 23 through 27. And here's what it says. The city does not need sun or the moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Here's the point. One day there will be an end to all evil. All bad. Let's not even go to the evil. Let's just go bad, which one and the same, but for our conversation's sake, let's split those. Bad and evil. God is going to deal with that. And the new heaven and the new earth will be perfect in every way. You can put as much cheese as you want on anything. Don't limit yourself. No fat-free creamer. No way, like full-fat creamer. All, everything will be made right. Relationships made right. Church families made right. Neighbors made right. Uh, inner family relationships that were once splintered will be made right. Everything in heaven will be perfect. And I, and I don't know about you, but I have a hard time even picturing that because I don't even have like a perfect five minutes let alone a, a perfect eternity. But that's what we set our sights on. And the first thing that Jesus says about the fate of the believers and unbelievers, God will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes that, and what will be left is perfection. And that's gonna be a great day. Number two, he says this, unbelievers will be punished for their sin. Verse 42 Jesus says everything's going to be made right. And again, this is exactly what we find in the book of Revelation. And we read John's words very carefully, but with profound fact. 
Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were open. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. That's heavy. But it's truth. And so when, when the ridding of evil and sin happens, there will be eternal punishment for those who have not placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And that is ultimately how Jesus will deal with the problem of evil. Now, that's not fun. Notice the dead were judged according to what they had done recorded in the books. Do you know you're recorded in the books? But if you're a follower of Jesus, you're not going to be judged according to that. Those of us who are followers of Jesus, we're no different than the world around us who are far from God. One will be judged according to what they've done because it's recorded. One will not be judged according to what is done and is recorded. Both are recorded. We're just not held to that standard. So what is the follower of Jesus held to? We're held to the standard of Jesus' cross because he received that punishment for us. That's why I have a hard time when people say, man, it costs you nothing to come to Jesus. And I say, on the contrary. A, it does, and we can unpack that at a later date, but it costs everything. It costs Jesus everything so that I could be saved. But there's hope. Uh, the next point, number three, the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. You get to be a ray of sunlight. I mean, some of you are now. But you get to shine like the sun. You provide the light. There's no moon, there's no sun in heaven. And, and right now, Jesus is that light in heaven. His, his, his mere presence is what provides light. And we get to share in his inheritance. And part of that inheritance is we get to shine with his light. That's super cool. I don't know how it's going to work. I can only, like, imagine uh, if I channel my, like, Marvel movies, I can picture something shining. But I have no idea what that's going to be like. But the language here comes from the Old Testament book of Daniel. If you want to read about that, just read all of Daniel chapter 12. It'll give you a little bit of, of insight. 
And this speaks of the fate of believers and unbelievers at the end of the age. And once again, this is exactly what we find when we come to the last book in the Bible, in the book of Revelation. We read this in Revelation chapter 22, starting at verse 3. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants, that's us, will serve Him. They will see His face. Think about that. Not the American blonde hair, blue-eyed Jesus. He might be, but he might not. But all the questions will be answered, and I think all of us will show up and go, wow, that is not what I pictured. And that's okay, that's good. But we will see his face, and his name will be on our foreheads. Now, some people have asked, is that a tattoo? I don't think so. I I don't think... All of us get Jesus tattoo, and we, we get that, but we get to pick the font uh, and the type size. I don't think that's the case. But it will be written, it will, it will be seen. Think of, of, of Moses. Uh, think of those who interacted, and they, they appeared differently because they had interacted personally with the God of all creation. And I think that's what is happening here. And his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun. For the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. Notice it doesn't say he will reign forever and ever. It says they will reign. You will reign. You share in God's inheritance of reign. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. I'm not saying you're an equal to God. That is severe heresy. But what I am saying is when evil is gone and you still exist, God, in his loving mercy, allows you to participate in the reign of the kingdom. Now, I hope, I hope none of you, like, have to do bathrooms, but you'll reign somehow. You'll tend to a garden. You'll, you'll gather food. You might lead singing. Like, we will all participate in that in absolute perfection. That's crazy. And this means that the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of heaven and all evil, once and for all, all pain, all tears, all struggle, all confusion, all frustration is going to be dealt with once and for all. That's our hope. Can we have hope today? Of course we can. The kingdom of God has come, but not yet. Both are true. And so those times, and we've all had them, or you might be feeling this even today where you sit back and go, my gosh, how long do I have to put up with this? Why doesn't God just fix all of this? Whatever this is, he will. He will. And that's why we need the body of believers. Because friends, I get tired of it. And I need you to hold my arms up. And you get tired of it. And I need to hold your arms up. This world is not an easy one to navigate, and it seems like it's getting crazier by the minute. And so instead of looking for answers of why, we turn our eyes up. And we trust that he ultimately is coming 
and will be glorified and perfected in Christ. So here's another motivation to choose Jesus over the world. There's a judgment day coming when God will send out his angels, and I can't wait to see what they all look like. I'm a visual learner. Any of you? Any of you visual learners? Or How many of you are factual learners? Just tell me the facts and I'll learn. And how many of you like to see things and it helps? Yeah, like I'd love to see an angel. That would motivate me a little bit. God is going to weed out all evil from his kingdom. Unbelievers, those who have chosen on their own not to follow Jesus and received his gift of not being held accountable for their actions through Jesus, those unbelievers will be punished and the followers of Jesus will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. That is happening. So let's just pause there for a moment and and allow that to, to be absorbed. That's not only our future, that's the future of mankind. But I want to remind you of something. The gospel is good news. Don't forget that. The gospel is good news. We sometimes read the judgment passage of Scripture and we think it's not good news. Who, who in their right mind thinks gnashing of teeth and fire, especially for us here, like we've seen fire and its destruction? Who can possibly think that's good news? Some will think, oh, that's bad news, but it's not. The good news is you don't have to be punished for your sins. That's, for those of us who are really gifted at sinning, that is really good news. Some of you are more on the saint side, and you're like, I only sin a few times, and like, you don't really understand those of us who are all-stars at sinning. That is really, really good news. And Jesus paid that price, and when you trust him as your Savior, you will shine like the sun in the kingdom of your Father forever. So we started this morning's message by talking about the problem of evil in this world. And we asked this question, why doesn't God do something about it? Maybe you've asked that question. Maybe you've, um, maybe you've had someone close to you ask that question. Maybe that's uh, people in your life or maybe you yourself of why it has kept them or yourself away from God. Why won't he do something? And the answer is God has done something about it. And God will do something about it. God sent his son Jesus in the world to reconcile us to him, to make things right, to heal us to restore us, to to create a life in which we become what God always intended for us to become. To heal brokenhearted, to comfort those who are hurting, to give peace in a world without peace, to give hope when the world seems to just be going crazy. That's why Jesus came. Uh, I can't help 
to, to turn on the news over the last couple of days and to watch what is transpiring in Russia and Ukraine. And I go, Lord, do something. He has. And I trust him. Is that hard? I wish it weren't, but it is. But I trust him. And this is why Jesus told the parable. It's a perplexing truth here. The kingdom is here, but not yet. Yes, the kingdom has arrived in Jesus, but there's also an enemy that is always at work, and he's stealing seed. Our kids are on the other side of that wall, and on the other side of that wall, and seeds of truth are being thrown on them, covered with seeds, and the enemy is running around grabbing those seeds, but he won't grab them all. Why? Because Jesus is sovereign. God could get rid of all the evil right now, but the Bible makes it clear his children, you and I, we would be hurt in that process. He can't rip out the evil yet because it would damage us. And so in his love, in his concern, in his intimacy with us, he lets us grow parallel with the evil. And he's okay with that because his mind is set on what's coming. Now, that doesn't mean we should just sit idly by and let evil have its way. That's also not what Jesus is suggesting. We should stand against evil in every form that we find, and we should battle it in the form of principalities, in prayer and in scripture. We ought to battle that, seeking to be salt and light in this world, but we need to be patient while we're living in an evil world. A world, according to 1 Peter, that's not our home. We're merely passing by. And we need to be then patient with the evil that's in our world in waiting for Christ's return. The kingdom of God has arrived. The kingdom of God has arrived in Jesus. And that's life-changing. It's marriage-changing. It's perspective-changing. The kingdom of God is here. And when he comes again, our great triune God will defeat evil once and for all, forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. That's what's happening. That's a lot of truth based on a few weeds. So where are the weeds in your life? Where are the weeds that are being allowed to grow in and around you? And God might not be in the position right now to pull those weeds out, but where is he calling you to pull those weeds out? It's very personal. And that's what the kingdom of God is. It's very personal. It's not a theory. It's not something that's abstract. It is very, very 
personal. And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've trusted him with your life, lean into what the Bible says because that's your future. And it's amazingly awesome and perplex. And so we study together. And then we worship in our response. So let's do that. Would you please stand and, and let's pray and then let's give God our, our everything. Father, I don't, I don't pretend to understand the full depths of your kingdom. We won't ever will. We won't ever be able to do that this side of glory. I don't pretend uh, to, to think that I can give you suggestions on which evil you ought to deal with now. <laughs> but there are, there are bad things around our kids. There's bad things around our lives. There's bad things at work. There's something bad that happened literally a block away in these fires. And, and yet, in the midst of all of that, you are still sovereign. You are still making all things good and new. You are restoring. You're reaching. You're healing. You're saving. Even in the midst of darkness, your light continues to shine through. And as we look around this room and as we, we hear the songs being sung, we realize we are, at least in part, your ability to shine through in the darkness as we love our neighbor, as we care for those who lost everything, as we hand a gift card, as we offer to pray, as we say good morning to a stranger, we are your light shining in the midst of evil and darkness. What a tremendous honor and privilege that that is. So we love you. And more than that, we're grateful that you love us cannot say thank you enough. Thank you that you love us. Thank you. And thank you that you haven't nor will you ever turn away from us. And so that's what causes us then to respond in worship with our all. So hear that now. We pray this in the strong and powerful and risen name of Jesus Christ.